Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for June 12th, 2023. Featuring poet Cindy Tran leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host once again, Jason Koo. I usually say I am your host and MC Jason Koo, but this Yop was emceed by the one and only Darius Phelps, one of our new assistant managers. And if you've listened to the Yopcast before, one of our regular Yoppers over the past year, Darius is locking it down for this Yop. And incidentally, we'll also be leading the July 10th Yop. And the reason why Darius is emceeing the July 10th Yop is because I am abroad in Brazil on vacation. And because I'm abroad in Brazil, I don't have the open mic sign-up page that I usually have when I edit the podcast. And thus, I cannot introduce all the poets who read for the open mics. You'll just have to wait in suspense as Darius introduces each of them by name on the recording. So, without any further blather, my me, let's get right to the recording, the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for June 12th. Enjoy. All right, so let's now welcome Cindy back to the stage for a very special reading with a special performance. All right, welcome back. I also wrote a, I tried to write a poem with ChatGBT and it wrote me a really silly poem about a first date. Um, And then I, it had so many cliches. My next command was, okay, write the same poem, but remove all the cliches. And it added even more. (laughs) No cliches. And then I, I did it like 10 times and it just made it longer and longer with more and more cliches. So someone fix that. All right. Uh, Tonight, I'll be reading a poem that I originally wrote as a Yelp review. If you guys don't know, I used to write Yelp reviews, and they were all poems. I don't do that anymore, but I wrote it. Before I wrote that one, I scrolled through the business page for it, and I saw several racist reviews that just frankly pissed me off. So this poem is in response to that. If you are a regular here, you know how the ops usually go. Tonight will be a little different. And before I read, I want to introduce my friend Justin Wong, uh, who will be playing a special <laughs> who will be playing a special improv piece that we work together on cello to go with this poem. Uh, let me read his bio. Justin Wong is an artist, educator, researcher, and arts worker. His musical collaborations explore intersections in electronic sounds and Western classical music. His dance practice engages somatic improvisation and he teaches interdisciplinary visual arts as a Lower Manhattan Cultural Council Sue Casa teaching resident and a teaching artist at Friends of the High Line. His work and collaborations have been performed at the Park Avenue Armory, MoMA PS1, at Festwoke in Vienna, Austria, and with the Berlin Radio Choir and Orchestra. Welcome, Justin.
to Saiget in Morningside Heights. Diaspora, one, derived from the Greek verb diaspiro, I scatter. I was born in the US, but they say I'm not American because My parents were born in Vietnam, but they say they are not Vietnamese because... My grandparents were born in China, but they say they are not Chinese. If I open a restaurant selling burgers, some Yelpers might say, stay away from these crooks. She's not even American. She's not speaking English. She must not think American thoughts. She must not have American feelings. She must have no denial. She must have no fear. Two, the movement of the population from its original homeland. Steph H. says, stay away from these crooks. They're not even Vietnamese. Cindy T. spreads her tongue on number 39A Grilled lemongrass pork shoulder bun me. Taste the food of womb before it was numbered. Tastes like Saturdays when my parents could afford to buy meat. Cindy T dips her memories into Saiget's nook mum. Tastes like white fear of fish sauce. Tastes like the spirit of fierce young girls watered down. Three, historical mass dispersions of an involuntary nature, such as the expulsion of Jews from Judea, 
the fleeing of Greeks after the fall of Constantinople, the African transatlantic slave trade, the Southern Chinese or Hindus of South Asia during the coolie trade, the Irish during and after the Irish famine, the displacement of Palestinians in the 20th century, How dare they use English words on their menu? That's not authentic. How dare you say that this is number three when it is obviously jaya? Might as well call it minced pork sausage or the dead men in our families. Thank you. All right, that was phenomenal. Let's keep it going for Cindy Tran and Justin Wong. Now we will start the open mic portion of our YAP. Just a few housekeeping rules. Each, each reader will have about three minutes to read. Uh, no more. Um, just so we can try to get everybody on the list before the night is over. Um, just a heads up. Also, once you hear a feature, uh, open mic reader that you like, a poem that you like, be sure to text the name, which we'll go over again at the end, to 718-374. 1953. Again, the number is 718-374-1953. Oh, sorry, yes, you're voting for the Yop Poem of the Month, which will also be recorded on our monthly Yopcast. If for some reason you do not want to be recorded, please speak to either Jason or I after the event and we'll get you taken care of. Our first reader of the night is. DJ Clearing. Did I say that right? All right, let's welcome DJ to the stage. Hey everybody, I am DG Clearing. It is so good to be at Brooklyn Poets. I am from Wisconsin, just outside of Green Bay, and heard about this place for quite a long time, so I am honored to be here. Thanks. I have one poem for you tonight. What do you call it? High school sweethearts. I think that that's what you'd call them. He was a badass, smoking cigarettes, getting into fights, drinking and doping. She was a preppy with good grades, strict parents, and on the student council. What do you call it when you wish you could just piss off mom and dad? The bad boy syndrome? 
Tommy was just the guy getting high in his souped-up ride. At 16, he had done juvie and had a switchblade at his side. The Buffy and Angel of Maiden Creek. Tommy and Amy sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. He got Amy pregnant. Her parents kicked her out of the house. Impure, stained, and unholy at the age of 14. Everyone called her a slut. They dropped out of school and got a room at the Starlight Motel with a green and yellow neon star and a vacancy sign that was always flashing. It had a little kitchenette with lime green tiles and a chipped Formica countertop and a two-burner hot plate and a refrigerator that never, never kept anything cold with green mold in the gaskets to match the decor. At three months, at three months, the baby, the baby would not stop crying in the hands of a 16-year-old father. He had shaken the impotent to death. Amy was screaming at the top of her lungs for him to stop, 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 stop. He dropped the bundle to the floor, <laughs> then punched Amy in the stomach and bashed her in the face. One child dead. <laughs> the other sprawled on the spotted linoleum floor bruised and beaten from the fists of his anger, her bosom bleeding with white milk of her heart, with white tears dripping onto the dead baby lying on her stomach. Tommy was sitting on the bed, chugging warm chocolate milk from the carton. Thank you. All right, thank you, DG. Next, we have Nathaniel Palisade. All right, let's welcome Nathaniel. Hey, how y'all doing? Y'all good? Cool, cool, cool. Um, my name is Nathaniel Placid. I am a spoken word poet from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, yeah, this is my first time out here. Uh, Appreciate y'all for having me. Love, love, love. Um, before I do my poem, I like to say that um, I like my poetry to be a conversation, right? So conversations go how many ways? So when I talk to y'all, y'all gonna talk? Cool. We all on the same page? Cool, 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 cool. Um, so poem I got for y'all goes like this. <clears throat> In my home, my dad had a lot of projects. He painted the walls, redid the floors, and even sewed all the curtains. <laughs> I think one of my favorite things he did was the window in the staircase. It was a mosaic of two dancers. But unfortunately, he never finished the work 
So I never got to see what it was supposed to look like. You know, we, we are stained glass shards, sharp and dangerous. But with intention, we could create something beautiful. However, this work cuts us, leaves our hands bloodied, leaves us cracked, fractured, and shattered, which in turn allows us to love and be loved more deeply beyond any flaws, allows us to create a more intricate picture, but at what cost? How could I find comfort in you knowing I played a part in your destruction and, and I'm giving myself too much credit? Because you've never been too broken for beauty. Grace, been imbued in your veins. How many flame formed against you falls flat? And your glow continues to be the brightest thing my eyes have the pleasure of bearing. And I'm grateful to be a witness. Honored to be an active participant in our love because it provides me with all the evidence needed to prove God's existence. How his light bends into us, shows us our true colors. And without any grudges or pedestals, we love each other. And I could never say that in the past tense. Because you will always be a gift to me. At present, our love feels like a hard lesson I was too hard-headed to listen to. Too often I hear of tragic glass fragments of men, rigid in their ways, too brittle to melt into a mold they were meant for. Let the vitriol of the world vitrify them to a false form, fearful that they too could not be beautiful. Felt undeserving of the sure hands of a master maker. And I can relate. You know, my father is a courageous artist. But before that, he was anxious. I'm sure his hands shook when he made me. Wouldn't be surprised if by that time my mother had cold feet. And these inherited attributes be the context in which I love you. Not an excuse. Just an explanation of why my work bent so shoddy and, and why fixing it can feel so daunting. If I'm being honest, my cowardice sometimes stops me. You know, fear is such an ugly thing. Be the reason I keep some of my edges so jagged. Be the reason I cut you. Be the reason you stab me. In the state I get cold, frozen in this pain, closed off, locked in place for so long I forgot I was meant to be opened. And then I see my reflection in your windows and I'm reminded how studious I am and how curious you are and how we are nothing but imperfect, eager apprentices willing to learn. Be better. Whether it's together or not, we engage in this never-ending labor called love in hopes of one day mastering the craft so that we may smooth our pointed ends, find the romance between our iron scars, let the light dance with us. And wouldn't that be beautiful? Thank you. <laughs> Thank y'all so much. Um, if y'all want to find more of my poetry, you can on my Instagram. It's natkp. It's spelled a little funny, so it's N-H-A-T-K-P. That's N-H-A-T-K-P. If you need me to spell it again, I'm in the back right there. I appreciate y'all's time. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Nathaniel. That was beautiful. Up next, we have Powell Ahimsa. So 
so I wrote this poem at the uh, the last uh, poetry festival workshop, the last day of it, uh, which was very inspiring. And uh, I read it that day, and I, a couple of edits later, um, I don't really like to explain too much of my poetry, but there's a lot of uh, war trauma in my family, and um, and I hope this weaves together the personal and the political. That was kind of my goal, so we'll see. Not sure if it was built during World War II to ward off the Germans or after for the Soviets. Battery Harris East is a bunker slash armory on a lone hill behind Reese Beach where lower New York Harbor meets the sea. In late spring, the honeysuckles in bloom mingle perfectly with the invigorating salt-hearted breeze as a vision of waves stretches south to the horizon and beyond. Blood of our earth, upon which ships carried my mom and grandparents, refugees from the war, wars that never ended for some like my grandfather. As recently as the aughts, Battery Harris East was not on my radar, now a sanctuary, the only place in Rockaway I now visit, a patch of grass on the otherwise sandy peak where I prayed that morning of the last annular eclipse, my own ritual of rebirth. I can't even count how much death and preludes to rise there have been already. From the birth of memory itself in Battery Park when I was three and a half and America was 200, watching fireworks in the parade of tall ships in upper New York Harbor with my mother and grandmother, what it must have meant to them, the living embodiment of those lines from Emma Lazarus, tempest-tossed, yearning to breathe free. How much I had yet to live and discover in my father's house on West 16th, no longer occupied, now an empty lot overgrown with weeds, where another war was being fought, and a small boy served as both ammo and bullseye, a place where I could barely breathe, even though the very same air nearby blew out from the golden door, anointing my mother and grandparents free. Or the abandoned house down the block from my mother's where a two-family home stands now. I used to play in it as a child, even though the whole second floor had collapsed into the first, remnants of stairs barely holding on, Dusting off the old photos I would find, intending to send them to those that surely did not mean to leave them behind in heaps of rubble. No longer fighting these wars, I breathe in the dust, as clear as the ocean air, my tiny lungs stretched as wide as the golden door. Thank you. I'll be in a... a I'll be in a publication uh, later this month. It's coming out. It's called uh, Rogue Scholars. Thank you. All right. Congrats, pal, on that publication. Up next, we have our very own. She won our YAP um, poem of the month of last month in May, Naomi Brinman. Okay, this poem is called Bouquet. <coughs> carnation, carnation, I'm out of patience, waiting for you to lose your fragrance. Peony, peony, I want you, you see, free to desire, hunger, devour, greedily. Bluebell, bluebell, hold me as I swell. Tell me I'm a good girl from the depths of hell. 
Lily, baby, Lily, please. Soft white flush, teasing me as you tear me open, make me scream. Rose, sweet rose, we know how it goes. Rose of rhyming verse, holding tight to a ghost. Thank you. Thank you, Naomi. All right, keep it going. All right. Up next, we have Louise Velez. Hi, everyone. Hi, Louise. <laughs> I wrote this trying to reconcile my past, I guess. I packed the little things I had and left. And I didn't care if my sister failed her test, if the heater's broken and the lights are out again. I didn't want to have to stay and worry about who would save you from you. I saw you give away your youth and years believing it would keep away the things you feared. Would you do it again if you knew? You were never able to bring us around the table. Trust me, I never wanted to be a guest in an empty house. Part of me still wants you to welcome me home like you did the day I came home in tears you didn't ask, you didn't solution. You didn't try to unwrap my tangled story. I'm sorry, you said, my head in your lap like a child, living out his quiet collapse. How do you let go when your heart is bound and you don't find rest from common ground? I know now some things we can only say when we've given up. It was late and we were tired when you told me. At some point, I realized I was waiting for a sign, for peace, for a feeling inside that would tell me what I did was right. I arrived here by force and by will and for my right to stay, I had to fight. Every hour, I had to break free from the voices that wanted to devour me. When we were alone, they would say, your children will never know their real home. You will fail like the others have failed. Your life here will never change. And I didn't listen, I didn't listen, I didn't listen. Until one day, I couldn't remember how to listen. All right, thank you, Louise. That last line gave me chills. 
Our next reader goes by one name similar to J-Lo or Madonna, but I prefer him better than the other two. Let's give it up for Junie. I'm the biggest disappointment in my bloodline. The truth is, I've been chasing my family's approval ever since I had long hair that passed my shoulders. Even when I was shorter, if you can believe it. A younger fool who enjoyed the little things a little too much. I was the first to be born in a country where you can be anything. But my only achievements were making my mother worry in the jail cell. I can see her now, shooting a basketball with a chain wrapped around her waist. I'm ashamed I blamed you for so much. But like drinking alcohol, I bought and consumed the excuses that made life easier to swallow. It was my mom's fault if she didn't leave and just stayed. If my dad wasn't a drunk. If my older brother didn't leave to start his own family. If only this, if only that. If, 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 if my mom and auntie hadn't died, I wouldn't be here in front of you now. Their debts launched a career I always dreamed of to perform on a platform I could only fantasize in their arms. But now that they're gone, I have no choice but to admit that they were right about me. I am not what my family wanted, but I am the person I dreamed of when I was younger. To be brave enough to stand here in front of all of you, right or wrong, in God's hands or not, I walk with the light shining above my head. If not God, my mom, auntie, uncle, grandpa, my feet burned because of my sins. I've been everything they said I was and am. The biggest mountain I had to climb wasn't the one in Mexico. It wasn't the mountain of dirt covering the ones I love. It wasn't my ex. It wasn't the weed. It wasn't my friends. It's me. It's always been me. If only this, if only that, if nothing. But if my ex-fiance didn't fuck another man while I was working on the invite list to our wedding, I wouldn't be here in front of you now. I would have been content with a life in Mexico. I was happy to be a teacher in Mexico. I was happy to have my family in Mexico. I was happy to die in Mexico, in Mexico, in Mexico. But I'm not in Mexico, am I? No. These city lights ain't no stars. No, 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 no. This air ain't fresh, no, 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 no. I'm the biggest disappointment to myself. I shouldn't have gotten drunk before performance. I shouldn't have called my ex a bitch at 3 a.m. I shouldn't have sent them to the hospital when they got sick. I didn't know it was a death sentence. You have to believe me, I didn't know. The last words my mom told me was to get them out. What could we do? We didn't have access to oxygen. What if they ran out at night? What then? We did what we thought was best. We did what we could in Mexico. So what if? What if? What if I accomplish all of my dreams? When will I stop thinking about the empty space next to my mother? What if you can do me a favor? When I get old, make sure I'm staring at the sunset. Let me see the stars one last time. Make it quick and clean up the mess. Let my family find the body. Mama, I'm coming home. I left the party early. 
I was getting tired anyways. Besides, we have to water the garden in the morning. The plants need us. Thank you. Um, thank you. I'm going to be doing my second feature at Parkside Lounge for New York City Voices on July 6th, and I will be representing Queens. So thank you very much. All right. Once again, that was Junie, not JLo. <laughs> Up next, we have Andy Chan. Hello. Oh, can I get higher? Oh, okay, cool. So I have a writing called Lollipops, but for tonight it's called Lollyop. And so, <laughs> yeah. So I hope you like your sugar. So it's gonna go, dum, 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 dum. Are you fucking dumb? Knock, knock. Who's there? What is going on? Mama, Papa, what's wrong? Shh. Mama told Papa not to pop another rum butterscotch. Papa told Mama not to pop another bubblegum drop. And all we do is watch and never see them stop. So we ask, can we please have a piece, please? And another and another forever, ever, ever. Till we're lollipopping pills, 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 pills. With social party skills, 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 skills. And I really, 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 really like how it feels. Sugar high, sugar high all the time. Oh, hi, Betty. Betty, Benny to bet that they can bring it on. Sarah said she can drink the most caramel. Johnny took the John with a kiss on the cheek, then said, put it on the tip of your tongue. Don't be dumb, swallow the gum. It'll be fun. Okay, done. Mama told Pop... Mama told Mama not to pop another rum but a scotch. Papa told Papa not to pop another bubblegum drop. And all we do is watch, never see them stop. So we ask, can we have some peace, please? And again and again on a loop like licorice. So we're lollygagging pills, 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 pills. Because overdosing kills, 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 kills. And do I really, 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 really like how this feels? No, I don't really like how this feels. I don't want another gummy bear. I don't want another tummy ache. On the, on the floor, Johnny fell, laughing out loud, mocking me, are you scared? Then we all knocked out. Good night, good day. Are you awake? Waking up with broken bones, broken jaws, tripping over blueberry scones. Then I asked if my friends went home. Nope, they died. And do you know why? Because they flew too high to the sun to be numb, searching for adrenaline, burning their intestine, now being buried in a coffin full of cough drops, being dropped in the ground like, wow. Can you imagine? No pressure to raise your blood pressure. And if ever I stop popping gobstopping lollipops and stop puffing pixie sticks between their sticky, icky little fingertips and focus on living healthy lives, how many would be alive living their lives? And so I ask, how many lives does it take to get to the center of yourself? Choking on your own smoke, saying, life's not fair. Don't you care about the air we share? Because you know, you're the one killing us all, and that's not fair. That, that's it. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Andy. Last month it was donuts. This month it's lollipops. <laughs> yeah. Next we have our regular Ann Herendine. few of you have heard this before, so D 
deal with it. <laughs> Beloved disciple, voices shatter morning haze, loud noon bright in tombs murk, like lightning piercing dry night storm. I can't, won't, look, the flesh still hanging on the wood, sagging loose from the nails, dog tracks and jackal's teeth, carrion birds pecking out the wet, spear-slit green-gray, so many holes, eyes and nose and mouth and wounds, hemmed with gleaming blue-black, Flies settling gorged into sunset. Mary, his mother, now mine, calls me son, uses his name as mothers remember their firstborn, as first he saw me hauling the nets, sunrise squinting my eyes, glint of fish scales sliding over under death, Ropes and muscles and skin, sand-salted pewter, fuzz scraped to stubble, not yet beard, old enough for love. When I tell my story now, I say, agape, don't give much away. We always shared the supper couch, would pull me against him, thigh between thighs, laughing into his mouth as he poked bread dipped in wine into mine. He dined with tax collectors, conversed with women, lived among the poor, the least, blessed the lepers and the demon-possessed, loved the crooked people, the lame, the blind. But in our world of Jew and Greek, he loved me too, as man loves youth, as teacher loves disciple. When I was straight and supple, rod and cushion all at once. I don't remember what he said, or if he spoke at all that last time, as I knelt to tongue the crazed skin smooth, rimmed the ragged scars, swallowed unleavened crusts of scabs, sweat and vinegar and shit, watered scorched mouth with spit, licked tortured lips to stillness, filled all the holes to make him whole again. Don't hold on to me, he told the woman. I'm not here for long. But for me it was the wordless kiss, the touch of hair on cheek that wakes me as I rise to sail for Patmos. All right, thank you, Anne. Up, up next, we have Daniel Skaggs. Hi. Got to test it out first. Is it? <laughs> okay. We'll get there. Can I share you with the world 
you can pick the shot, the angle and the lighting. I think you look beautiful no matter what you're wearing. But you can show as much or as little of yourself as you please. It's all framed by you and I see only you no matter how many layers and even in the layers. You choose the clothes after all. So if now I've said it, I see you and I'm afraid I always will up close and from afar. Naked or suffocated wrapped in bolts and bolts of fabric. Your curves are their curves now. Do you believe you can be found? Do you believe me when I say that I have found you? I don't believe myself sometimes. You are endless after all, and I can only see parts of you at a time. And even if I see them, they all keep changing subtly, and I feel farther thinking that I could know you from afar or even close. But if you would wrap your arms around me, wrap your whole self around me, both back and front, side and side, then I would know you from the inside as your world keeps turning and I, like a light inside a paper lantern, shine into you. And you, you are alive with light. All right, thank you, Daniel. Up next, we have Hunter Hodgkinson. Hello, everyone. Hi. This poem only requires a little bit of context. Um, uh, basically, Brooklyn Poets started off as like a Tumblr page, actually, and it has grown into a nonprofit. This is actually just an ad for Brooklyn Poets. Um, just kidding. Uh, but yeah, so this poem is called uh, The Poem That Takes. My first Google search after buying makeup for the first time is how to steal from Sephora. <laughs> Which leads me to a seven-year-old Tumblr post from Lifting Princess. Her number one tip is to wear bold lipstick and look and act rich. She hasn't posted in nearly half a decade. But I can't help but wonder if she would have stuck with it. Maybe she too could have had a successful nonprofit on Montague Street. <laughs> in an alternate dimension, I'm up here on stage giving you all my tips on how to steal instead of reading poems. At least in that dimension, I can obtain the life I desire through dubious means. In this dimension, I'm going to finish this poem, walk down from this stage, finish what's left of my wine, if there is any. I'm going to listen to the rest of y'all read and then go home. Maybe order a pizza, binge every single bit of it, sleep, wake up, go to work get screamed at by rich white Brooklyn Heights people, get my free shift meal, go home, eat it slow, twiddle my thumbs until it's the appropriate hour to drink. Drink. A lot. Wake up hungover covered in Popeye's crumbs. <laughs> and write a poem about it. Give me something. 
anything, something I didn't have before this moment, something to make me feel like I won in this interaction we've shared together. I know it's my job to give, but what's wrong with a poem that takes? Can I shoplift your heart? Do I look rich enough? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Hunter. I think that was my favorite of yours so far. Now I really want Popeyes. <laughs> Up next, we have Michael Cunningham, then Encia Taj and Alexis Dibbs. But now let's welcome Michael to the stage. Uh, thank you. So this is... Um uh, this is based on uh, Native American astrology. I was uh, writing something about uh, an animal. This is called Raven. See me flying through the storm. I am the rain and the dark clouds. I am in the raindrop and in the ocean that birthed them. I am the darkness at the center of the storm. The iris, the emptiness of space. I am the black feather of a new moon. I am the shadow of forgetting that stalks old age. I am the eye at the center of consciousness. The dark skin of Kali, her deep mouth of time. I am the tornado, the cyclone, the monster Cherubidus waiting on the narrow streets of Messina. I am the black hole from which not even light can escape. I am the storm flying through the night. See me. I am Raven. All right. Thank you, Michael. Up next, we have Encia. Hi. Hi. Good. All right. Here we go. You push the worst version of me to take surfing lessons in Oahu. Beam as I wade into the north shore, loose-limbed and distant. The sun, sun hanging anxious in the sky like a bloated belly. The instructor ensnares a leash around my left foot, pulls the loop taut, trapping the board and I in an unsteady marriage. Paddle, he says, and there is no choice but to move forward. You tend to the gloom this way, like a monsoon, stubborn and unrelenting. Feed it beef kebabs shaped into fingers, fat with chili peppers. Each humid morning, we circle Lake Birchwood as if it were Mecca, hoping to perform a miracle. You wield your film camera, capture an eastern bluebird wailing on a pollen-licked poplar tree, reminding me that this too is a life worth living. You regale me with the story of your becoming, of crumpling into a 17-year-old heap at your mother's gnarled knees, begging to cross the Pacific like your older brothers. You pause for dramatic effect as I applaud this theater of inherited bravery. At night, you lullaby my couch sunken slumber, your rusty tongue swimming through a sea of rhymes we've both forgotten years ago. Afternoons blanketed by chess, the marble set you bought in Bangalore before I was born. Pieces perfumed with sandalwood, the white night slightly cracked. I say nothing when you retrieve my dusty chess trophies from the basement, 
arrange them on the top shelf in your office. I say nothing when you let me win. Do you remember my 13th summer, Baba? Your hair still black, shining midnight between soft ears. A five-pound bag of Costco oranges decays in the unforgiving Virginia heat. Fruit flies swarm, buzzing a loud dirge. The pristine white of Mama's kitchen, a desert. You collect them into your golfer's hands and bury the rot in the backyard, next to the inflatable pool. You cradle each orange as tiny as a newborn's head and apologize. We shouldn't have let you go to waste. Thank you. All right. That was one hell of a last line. We shouldn't have let you go to waste. All right. Up next, lucky number 13, we have Alexis Dibbs. Hello, I'm Alexis. Uh, the poem I'm reading today is entitled, For Your Plans. Pick the petals before they fall, to the sound of I like you, I like you not. Even at my prettiest, you plucked me ugly morphed into a version of self unsustainable to wake up to. Most days I craved rain, toes cr crossed under the covers, praying showers would wash away the dirt from kissing succulents with bare lips, sucker punching bags until my knuckles bled aloe, melting to the artificial heat I mistook for chemistry. Soil thinking the moisture would last, thinking tears could be heard in the silence of condensation. Particles fogging up the insides of a window pane left open to enter a clouded dream of forget-me-nots. Forgetting the plant still needed love, even if you never learned to care for them. Never inherited green thumb passed down from generations of farmers hunched over harvesting berries in Sicily, hoping the harvest would produce an abundance of sweetness. My grandmother says that was my inheritance. Sweetness because even if nothing from the season deems edible, I find something salvageable to eat. Left with bitterness on my tongue, I turn the dirt into song, tuning your guitars one last time before I go, plucking the strings in early morning for the sound to illuminate your room, an alarm cock for your plants blooming, blessing them with kindness over sirens as I say good morning to each and every one of them, watering them with cups half full on your desk at your bedside, wondering why they grew best in my presence, why the glasses were always empty, never questioning my callous thumbs or echoes from plucking the melody of Here Comes the Sun over and over and hoping rays would peek through the curtain's blind spot, deliver sweetness of the harvest hidden in the light that never quite hit in the ways I hoped. See, this isn't a soliloquy to pick me, but the plants I fa failed to propagate before I left pick their leaves when they're the color of rust and when they wilt, tilt their pots to face the sun. Nourish them with so much kindness and so much love and melodies of songs you never knew I sung. If you split their stem, be mindful of their heart. I'll sweep up the petals that fell at the start, lest our bodies never touch again. Let our silhouettes dance in the shadows of the plants. Let their green leaves, my lips red, from eating the harvest my grandmother left. Right. 
That was beautiful, Alexis. Thank you. Next, we have Paige Saravar Ray Soy. Yep. <laughs> Told you I was going to mess it up. <laughs> Sorry about that. Hello. Um, my name is Paige Savadeze. I'm here representing the southwest side of Chicago. Okay. <laughs> are we from Chicago or are we just like, all right. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. Um, thank you to Shane for giving me his time today. I wasn't supposed to be up here, but I am. So <laughs> thank you. Okay. So uh, this is called three knots in my chest. So three knots in my chest. One. Wind blew a hole through my gut. Slimy streamers flap in profile, a gurgling whistle. Face down on sunny grass rollouts, a sensing platform wherever a nerve begins. I am a fleshy transmitter. Dogs piss where I lay. Two, I had spent the last two hours watching her ass kiss the tops of her thighs. Heavy metal sleeves pulled down over knuckles. Figure drawing, Barcelona. She asked me out, but canceled later for a reason. She said burlesque was about creating lines, good ones, and don't forget the hands. Three, there's this whole world with girls who were hot in middle school. I felt it at Libby Lou, or with Maddie's pear-shaped older sister, or imagining sleepovers with cool girls, or when Avery overdosed at 15. I missed the kid who laid down for bugs on the sidewalk and wore two hats and two sunglasses. Dr. Buttondown asked me, if you were to talk to yourself at seven, would it be for her or your benefit? I iron my legs for the day. I hang by my ears to get it done. I don't have to be crazy for them to not get it. There's got to be a sleepaway camp for this. Right. Up next, we have Eric Schurink. Hello, Brooklyn poets. Hello. So glad I found you. Small talk. Here I am, noshing on crudite, wondering about the grammar underlying cricket chirps and grizzly bear growls. Like I do about me not having learned the art of clawing the beeswax from a tree hive as a kid or rubbing my wings faster when the sun shines brighter. I wonder about the parts of bow wow and meow, a puppy's verbs, a kitten's nouns. How do they learn to live without diction, dictionaries? and opposing thumbs. How do birds learn to ID fellow feathered ones not having the smart bird app on their iPhones? <laughs> I wonder about the termite's joy stealing his hunger not owning tools versus the apprentice cabinet maker so skilled needing to look for a job to feed himself and his family. The cougar hunting and eating his dinner not needing a rifle, stove, plate, or silverware. The old hippo having quenched his thirst all his life, his lips never having touched a bottle, glass, or cup. 
I take a sip of sparkling water and thank the waiter for the cracker with baby shrimp as I rub elbows with a linguist reveling in stories about his newborn. All right. Thank you, Eric. All right, let's keep it moving. We have about 10 more readers left. Let's try to get to all of them before tonight is over. Up next, we have Mark Wiseman. All right, thank, uh, thank you, Darius. Thank you, Cindy. Um, hello, Brooklyn Poets. <laughs> thank you. What should we do tonight? Should we do, uh, let's see, uh, Jesus or apple pie? Really, apple pie? <sighs> okay, we'll do apple pie. Gotta do what we do. We'll save Jesus for next time. Um, all right, so this actually, I'm, I'm very local today, as uh, designated by my hat and my shirt, and um, this poem called Blue Stove. I don't know if anyone remembers that shop in Williamsburg. Pretty darn good. Blue Stove. What begets memories of pie in parenthood? Peach, orchard fresh, crust so risen, I could set another summer inside it. Classic apple I resist for guava, spouse adores. But is it canon? From this shop, why not? Shit, key lime, in minis, a third for each of us on Sunday, when dinner's supper, the work week at bay. Bittersweet chocolate mousse, not meant for Americans, not sweet enough for the inner child who wonders why anything is, and still can't make much of anything, let alone pie. What persistence in art to source peaches and peak pandemic to pivot a store with an ornamental blue stove like Mike Mulligan's steam shovel, who's stuck in the cellar, finds raisin d'etre as a furnace into a storefront and general store, three at a time, so I can recline on lawn chairs and savor my slice, excuse me, <laughs> savor my slice, slice of life. <laughs> it's getting late for me. Savor my, you know, for some of us, for the parents. Savor my slice of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, as if any of it were meant for me. Wife, children, neighbors, disposable income, bliss. Thank you very much. All right. Next, we have Torrance Gregory. Torrance Gregory, are you in the house? Going once, going twice. Nope. All right, moving on. We have Elia Osmanova. I'm going to read um, an older poem. I don't know. Can you hear me? Yeah. <clears throat> different worlds and different words. Finally, when you start feeling it in your tongue, the saliva becoming wet and dry, 
It all starts to make sense. A new language is born and you are born. You are now thinking freely like you never did before. The feeling of being lost is no longer present, yet you understand and feel the pain more thoroughly. It's no longer the shyness, but the disappointment of the society. Now you know this dream place that you left your home for is not as perfect as you had imagined before. I still remember like it was a yesterday's question. What are your two magical words, my English teacher had asked in England. And then she repeatedly said, please and thank you. Please and thank you. Yet, I came here and saw the opposite. Often I feel my voice shaken, yet caught in a surprise when a word of Azerbaijani flies out of my mouth. Ten years, and how does that still happen? Lost among four languages, still wanting the person to understand me so thoroughly. Feeling the exhaustion in my eyes more than in my lips, same feeling I felt when I first spoke a word of English. I weep feeling as if I've left something so meaningful behind. I've left the land so consistently. I've left my mother tongue, a land of unknown in any other place than my own as it feels in a place of America. In a place of opportunities, as they say, where I consistently find myself in a box. Then I ask, do opportunities only exist in a box? In a place where there only seems to be two colors, black and white. Yet I'm called the colors in between. In a place where I feel all the unwanted lies to be thrown at my face, where I feel people talk about love every single second, yet don't know how to love. In a place of opportunities, they say. Not fitting, not breathing, but then realizing not fitting is the way I fit in my skin. My wings exist within, and my home is my skin. Thank you. Thank you. That was beautiful. Up next, let's welcome Jim Stewart. Changed the poem I'm reading at the last minute, but I wrote this last week and I'm feeling it more. <clears throat> the sky's been blit with the color of an LCD screen streaming cheap CGI, the scary half of a Marvel movie poster, or the kind of show we would put between us to pretend we could share the couch. And I wonder if vectors still tell the story of our language. One would like certain words adjacent if the space has enough dimensions, as in, I like to play with my pet blank. I do, but the Beagle Terrier Cross and the Tabby don't bother to fight anymore. I picture the car closer to the black and white piebald sleeping in the walk-in closet. 
A dot product gives a sense of nearness when plotted, and though we've been distant before, I fear we'll be shown orthogonal. And in different quadrants, distance stops having meaning. Sequoia smoke from Nova Scotia settles over the estuary. The skyline is a cloud mirage castle. I know this smell. Was it five, ten years ago when Northern California burned, or was it the time we had to evacuate the house in Oregon? Now, is there anything left but shared accounts? A bunch of semi-random strings I invented when passwords could be easy to remember, enshrined in our story like secret mantras. Even that costs money now. The channel no longer allows us to spread so thin. I'd imagined an experimental way to tell this, a 2D plot or nodes with edges, but I was scared to write it at all. The last time I put you in a poem, there was a ring in the box. Now I must tell you it's in there again. Hasn't every generation said the end was just a little further down the gradient? And weren't they always right? Thanks. All right, thank you, Jim. All right, Arthur Russell is next. Yes, thank you for that. Thank you, Cindy. Cindy, where are you? That was wonderful. Thank you, Cindy, that was great. And thank you, Table Three, for all your support and your wonderful poetry. This is a little save the date, October the 13th of Friday will be the launch right here of my chapbook at the car wash, the winner of the 2023 Rattle Chapbook Prize. So please save the date and please come. It's going to be a wonderful party. This poem is from that book. It's called Dave Kramer's Son George, called Georgie, an autistic savant, and my mother ran into one another at the corner of Coney Island Avenue and Avenue J in front of the Dime Savings Bank, now called Chase. George recognized my mother, Selma, first and called out in his blatting trumpet voice, Selma Russell, Bert from Hollywood's wife. Behind the counter at Kramer's Hardware, Leaning on the doorframe to the basement stairs, his forearm draped across his head, his face at rest, deflated sphere of eyebrows and dark lips. George, from his honeycombing mind, called blattingly, blatting like Louis Armstrong's trumpet to answer questions from customers for inventory items and their price like this. Five-eighths inch machine screw brass, 18 threads per inch, 12 cents each, 9 cents for a box of 100, box cost $9, $9. Matching nuts, nickel apiece, 5 cents is a nickel. Nickel apiece, he might repeat and chuckle, as if remembering the time that Dave, his father, taught him that 5 cents equals a nickel. There must have been joy at that kitchen table that day, laughing and laughing and laughing till Dave said, okay, George, no more or something else, maybe nickel tickled him, or the word apiece. I wondered, you couldn't help but wonder the way he yanked you off your mooring with his blatting trumpet voice, which Selma, who had no gift for mimicry, tried to mimic. 
It was the one he used to call out the names and account numbers or even regular orders when people came in off the street. Harry Lopez, big from Big S. Elijah from Abco Properties. Liquid soap, no lanolin allergic. Selma Russell, Bert from Hollywood's wife. Well, hello, George, my mother said. So nice to see you. Do you live around here? Park Manor Adult Home, 570 Coney Island Avenue, room 17. Clumpy flakes of snow fell calmly without wind the day that George met my mother outside the Dime Savings Bank. Clumpy wet snow that clung without melting on George's stocking cap and Selma's black fur coat, her gray-blue scarf expertly poofed at the collar. What became of that coat, Cindy, after Selma passed? Ask Cindy. Cindy would know. It was easy to stand outside on the street that day in the big flake, no wind, snow. An easy day to be a child in the snow. Selma in her black fur coat and Georgie in his blue canvas jacket, brass zipper behind a blue canvas placket and thick woolen gloves. Dave Kramer was dead. Bert was dead. Kramer's hardware was sold. Hollywood car wash was sold. I got this report from Selma at the round glass table with the lazy Susan and the blown glass bowl where she kept plastic pears and the occasional phone bill in need of attention in her seventh floor apartment in Delray Beach, Florida with windows on the intercoastal waterway. She wished she'd said more to George that day, but what was there to say? She mostly indirectly knew him from the dinner table stories Bert would tell of conversations Dave and he would have. For instance, how Bert found Dave mid-afternoon with half an egg salad sandwich still uneaten on the counter by the register, the mayo getting glassy with the weight. And when Bert said, but Dave, your food, Dave said, I need some aggravation to digest my lunch. But more likely to my mother, it was the promises Dave had made to George's mother, who predeceased him, to care for George, which meant to keep the store much longer than he otherwise would want, so George would have a place to go to work. Bert knew these things, and Selma, through Bert, knew them too. And with her mother's heart, they came to her that snow globe day outside the bank when she had turned to answer to her name and saw his round face, aged as any man's would age, with fat, wet snowflakes on his woolen cap. She had the instant wish to talk as if old friends, to reminisce survivors they of olden days when she had come to work at Hollywood on Saturdays to keep the car wash books, make payroll, always dressed. You had to know how smartly she would dress, so elegantly walking through the steam gun steam to reach the office as the men, like honor guards, 
their vacuum wands and steam guns turned aside to let her cross the track, but she couldn't reminisce with George. In Delray Beach, she didn't say all this, but I saw her manicured fingers fold her paper napkin into thoughtful pleats in the narrow space between the plate and the table's edge and knew where she resided then and found her vague regret residing in me too. So what, I asked, brought Georgie up today? She handed the Sun Sentinel to me. An article on autism, she said. Now Cindy texts me back that Selma's coat was sheared gray milk, mink, unless I meant the stole she wore on New Year's Eve appearing in our bedroom door to wish us boys good night, bejeweled and backlit by the hallway light. But now I'm confused. It had all seemed so clear. Thank you. All right. Thank you, author. You heard it first here Friday, October 13th, Brooklyn Poets. All right, our next reader is Kiara DeLillo. Hi, everybody. Thanks for sticking around. Um, happy Pride. Uh, where are all my queer poets? Hello. Um, fuck fascists. Protect trans kids. And I brought you a poem that has nothing to do with any of that, but I couldn't let the lineup go without saying it. So um, this is a poem that is still searching for its final title. It's called Briefly Grapefruit. Oh, thanks. Maybe I'll keep it. The kids stare out over the pond while the park rangers ask questions about ecosystems. They touch a beaver pelt, an empty dome of turtle shell, they're saying what they know about animal adaptations when a turtle, a whole live one, pulls itself out of the water and onto the glacier rock at their feet. I am hopped up on Dayquil and running on fumes, but this is why I couldn't call in sick. The faces of these pandemic jaded children cracked wide open. The turtle's pointed nose slanted up at the clear May sky. People have asked me how I learned to notice things. Cardinal. Grackle, the sky gone briefly grapefruit. It's a quality I don't always notice that I have, but when someone first asked, I didn't have to think about it. I knew I learned it from you. Look at the moon, you say. Look at that bird. Everyone needs someone to say, look at that bird. <laughs> and you adapted to your environment. Between work and home, you wrote at a rented desk at the Mercantile Library. You adapted to the every single night dinner rotation, to solo bedtime duties for both kids. You made it work even though the making and the working both seemed to go on and on. And I am so tired, but this is the showing up I believe in. In a long frayed line, we make our way to the ramble where the rangers tell the kids to listen for bird sounds and hold up one finger for each different bird they hear. I used to think it was funny how many pictures you could take of flowers. Mama, I take so many pictures of my flowers. Like the rose that came up in my yard for no other reason than someone before me planted it well. Everyone needs someone to plant them well. 
Everyone needs someone to say, close your eyes and count the birds. Here's the truth. Their fingers ticked up like second hands, as if they weren't marking birds, but counting out moments of rare and precious peace, seasoned with late spring, with green, with bird. And I can close my eyes and count the ways you are in me. One, two, three, and on, and on, and on. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Everyone needs someone to plant them well. Love that line. Hella deep. All right, our last reader of the night is Abby. The first version of this poem was actually written in a Brooklyn Poets class um, given by Gregory Crosby called Ars Apocalypta, and I believe he's offering it again very soon. So if you enjoy contemplating and writing about the end of the world, I highly recommend it. This is called um, Slacking at the Apocalypse. At the very end, I am lucky enough finding myself alone in a house by the sea. I have been falling asleep to the sound of waves waking up to the splitting apart of the sun, to the reality of my own skin. I walk along the shoreline before the tide gets too high. Last night, I passed out on the couch after too many glasses of that delicious Portuguese wine that the neighbors left behind, after listening to a shitty recording of the latest set from that comedian we're now supposed to hate. I woke up late today, finished the novel I was reading, made toast and tea, and sat down to watch the water. I waved to Long Island from my porch somewhere in Connecticut, remembering a summer spent across the Atlantic so many years ago. I think of hiking the cliffs of Dover and stopping to wave to France. I sat down for beers and crisps after that hike, soaking up the wind and the rain. I was alone by the ocean then, too. I chew on the memory of being so cold, so spent. I miss being cold. Next door, the bird feeders are empty hanging in the breeze. I've seen only a few birds here, and they remind me of three billion species already lost. I remember a photo of the sparrow I saw once in the New York Times and that awful headline, and suddenly I see emptiness, think only the word emptiness, try to conceptualize the whole idea of emptiness, and feel such a sense of longing and loneliness reaching out across the calm morning water of the Long Island Sound. I'm foolish enough to consider, to still consider, spending this day and every day hereafter just putting pen to paper, eating second or third helpings of toast, drinking too much wine, and falling asleep on the beach. I am so spoiled by the glimmer and shine of the ocean, so in love with all this silence split apart by the sound of waves. I want to spend every day making beautiful art about the ocean and about sadness, about the sound of waves and the absence of birds and what it means to be alone in a house with so much toast and tea and time. At some point, the clouds have changed position and I can't say I saw it or know how it happened. I've been too focused on my pen moving across paper. Sun streaks in through the spaces between clouds, searing my skin and threatening to leave a mark. I keep writing. Thank you. 
right, let's keep it going for Abby and all of our open mic readers of the night. I'm gonna go on the list one more time. Just a quick reminder, folks, you are voting for Yop Poem of the Month. Again, that number to text is 718-374-1953. We're actually at time for the night. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, and so the number, one more time, is 718-374-1953. And the open mic readers in order are DJ Clearing, Nathaniel Palacid, Pow, Naomi Brenman, Louise Velez, <laughs> we hear you uh, texting, Junie, Andy Chan, Anne Herendine, <laughs> Daniel Skaggs, Hunter Hoskinson, Michael Cunningham, and Sia Taj. <laughs> <laughs> Alexis Dibbs, Paige, Eric Shrink, Mark Wiseman. Hold off on text for just one second. <laughs> Elia, Jim Stewart, Arthur Russell, Kiara Delello, and last but certainly not least, Abby. You can only vote once. You can only vote once. All right, we have a record, so you can only vote once. Thanks for asking that. And you cannot tell people who are not here to vote, so please. <laughs> yes, one vote, one number only, please. All right. And before we close out the night, just one more announcement. Tickets for the next job featuring Gabina, uh, Gabina, uh, one more time. <laughs> Tickets for the next job are live, which will be Monday, July 10th. Tickets are now on Eventbrite. I will be emceeing. Looking forward to it. Our next instructor will be Gabina Adesina. On July 10th, tickets are now live. Thank you all so much for joining us. Get home safely, and we will see you same time in about a month. All right, there you have it. Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for June 12th, 2023. Thanks to Cindy Tran and her friend, the brilliant cellist Justin Wong, for, I was going to say, leading our workshop. Justin didn't lead the workshop, but played uh, some improv cello behind Cindy as she featured at the start of our open mic hour. But thanks to Cindy for leading an amazing workshop and to Cindy and her friend Justin for uh, performing together at the start of our open mic hour. Uh, that was definitely the first time we've ever had uh, a cellist play in the background of a reading at the op, and the first time we've had any uh, music 
instrumentalist uh, behind a poet reading during the open mic hour. So that was a treat. Uh, congrats to Alexis Dibbs, one of our regular yawpers since we opened our new space at 144 Montague Street, Brooklyn Heights, for winning Yawp Poem of the Month for June uh, for her amazing poem, For the Plants. Uh, if you remember from the recording, it was titled For Your Plants uh, when she read it, but she has since revised that title with a very important change, and all of you poets would appreciate this. From your to the, it is now called For the Plants. Alexis has earned a spot in our Poem of the Year contest, which is coming your way uh, pretty soon now. We're about halfway there. It'll come your way in early December. Uh, the date we've got penciled in tentatively, if you want to mark your calendars, is Saturday, December 2nd. We have now uh, got, let's see, seven of the 12 spots accounted for. There are only five left. Uh you want to sign up for the next yop on july 10th you can do so at brokenpost.org still plenty of tickets left i believe all the open reserve open mic spots are claimed they usually are but uh you might check i'm not sure i haven't checked lately july 10th yop sorry i might just stumbling over my words here in brazil uh might have something to do with the fact that i was on the beach for three hours earlier today but the july 10th yop will be led by Gabenga Adesina. Some of you may remember Gabenga from our awards gala last December. Uh, Gabenga was the winner of our inaugural Denise Bell Award given to a poet uh, with the best Poet of the Week feature of the year featuring a previously unpublished poem. Gabenga is an amazing poet and one of our new teachers this summer. He's uh, leading a two-session workshop on writing about family uh, the workshop is called Writing Parents, Family, and Ghosts. Unfortunately, you can't sign up for that workshop anymore because it is sold out. But uh, not to be in despair, you can get a taste of what that workshop will be like on July 10th if you uh, get a ticket for the op because Gabenga will be doing a one-hour workshop that is on the same theme of Writing Parents, Family, and Ghosts. If you like what you heard, we'd love it if you rate us five stars on iTunes. It helps more listeners find these amazing poets uh subscribing to our podcast also helps uh but uh, hopefully we'll see you in person or virtually via zoom on july 10th for our next job again you can get tickets at brokenpoets.org look under events look for the op or just follow us on social media uh you can get the link for the op through any of our announcements about it that is all i'm gonna drink some more caipirinhas And uh, I wish you well and hope you're enjoying your summers. Take care.